Hi there. I am so excited to invite you to attend our fourth annual free virtual special education and advocacy conference. We are hosting it here at Ashley Barlow Company in partnership with Rebecca Poe Teaching. And we are so excited for a few new things at this year's conference. The first new thing is that we have not just one, but two different tracks for attendance. For the first time ever, we have created a track that is specific for school staff and teachers. We also still have that traditional track that we intend to be really great for parents and caregivers in the IEP arena. So yes, we have a teacher track and a parent track. On that teacher track, you are going to learn about things like easier data collection, gestalt language processing, behavior reading, and other super hot topics in special education practice, as well as advocacy. On the teacher and caregiver track, you're going to learn about stress management for caregivers, using adaptive books, something that I have really kind of um, dove into here at my own house, inclusion advocacy, advocacy strategies, and so, so much more. That free ticket will give you one pass, one access to one presentation per hour on the track that you choose, either that teacher track or the parent track. Of course, if you are not available on January 19th or January 20th when the conference is taking place, you can buy tickets to access the conference on demand. And those tickets, of course, are available at our website, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference slash 2024. Check out the website for more information about ticketing. This year, we also have something super exciting planned. We have decided to make this a two-day event. When I partnered with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I told her that I really feel like School districts, disability organizations, and other community organizations need to start providing trainings that are accessible to teachers, related service providers, administrators, parents and caregivers, and other community members that are interested in IEP support. What if we all attended the same training? What if we all learned information about special education practice? curriculum, how to read evaluations, that kind of stuff, about special education advocacy, how we can collaborate more, how we can work together, and even about special education laws. What if we all attended those presentations and we workshopped them together? So together with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I have created the Empowered Workshop Series, and we are excited to bring it to your organization or school in 2024 and beyond. If you are interested in having Rebecca and I bring a workshop to you, you can see a preview of the Empowered Workshops on January 19th, the Friday before our main conference programming. For more information about that, either send me a DM or check out the website, again, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th and can't wait to connect with you. Hi everyone. Welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, 
a teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Welcome back to another episode of Special Education Advocacy with Ashley Barlow. I'm Ashley Barlow, and I'm so happy you're here. Today, we're gonna to talk about one of my favorite, favorite books. It's called The Behavior Code. The authors are Jessica Minahan and Nancy Rappaport, who is a physician. Jessica Minahan is spelled M-I-N-A-H-A-N, and Nancy Rappaport is spelled R-A-P-P-A-P-O-R-T. I will put a link to this book both online as well as in the show notes if you would like a specific link. If you're watching on YouTube, this is what my particular book looks like. I think there are a couple other covers as it's been published and republished, etc. But I totally, totally love this book and I want to talk to you about it. I've got some notes on some specific like kind of overviews of the chapter that I'm going to share with you. And what I love the most about this book, honestly, is literally in the first 26 pages, you get the information that you can share with your school if they don't know how to address behavior at all. And I'm talking problematic behavior, but I'm also talking a lot about just kind of generalized human behavior. Children that withdraw, children that have sexualized behavior, children that present with a lot of anxiety. If your child has just kind of pervasive behaviors, negative behaviors, and or just human behavior, this book will likely help you immensely. And the thing that I think it helps the most with is being able to explain what to do about behaviors in actual words, because you know it, you live it. But the hardest thing for me is being able to explain what we do and why we do it in words. And when I read about it, I'm like, yes, that's what the doctor said. That's what the behaviorist said. That's what the psychologist or the social worker or the OT or my next door neighbor, that's what they said. Here are the words. So before we dive into this book, I want to tell you, oh, we are appropriately located in my home office where I just have stacks and stacks and stacks of books on behavior. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk to you about first is using books. So I teach my children with books. When my kids were little, if they were going to the dentist for the first time, if they were playing soccer for the first time, they were both terrible at soccer, by the way. If they were, you know, when Griffin was getting a baby, all of those things, you know, he wasn't, he was getting a baby brother, rather. <laughs> I taught them with books. So there's books on potty training. There's books on how to play soccer and what soccer looks like. There's books on what happens when you get a baby sibling or when you get a dog. I still teach my kids with books. And the reason why is because I teach myself with books. So I'll never forget one time I was reading, I've been a fan of Kelly Hampton's for for quite some time since Jack was an infant. Kelly is located over, she's a blogger and she's got really great stuff on social media. 
particularly to support the Down syndrome community over at Enjoying the Small Things. The social media handle is ETST. And I remember early on in her children's lives, she's a parent of a child with Down syndrome. She talked about how her older daughter was like chucking a book across the room and she looked at it and it happened to be a book that was like understanding Down syndrome in children or speech skills in, in children with Down syndrome. And she was like, it turns out I've never actually opened the book, but there are in fact days that I feel like chucking that book across the room too. And I thought that was so apropos, you know, that a toddler would chuck a book about Down syndrome at their, or in the direction of their sibling that had Down syndrome. And then later, or maybe it was earlier sometime, she posted about the books and said, you know, truth be told, I haven't really opened a ton of the books, but having the books on my bookshelf makes me feel like a better parent. And I think sometimes that is it. Like the more information that we are surrounded with, the more comforted we feel because we know the information is there if we need it. We know we've got it. And if we're having a crisis at eight o'clock on a Tuesday night, we can open the books. So what I tell my clients when I recommend books, I used to have to do this in divorce all the time, and it really helped me to prepare with clients that were experiencing behavior issues with their kids in particular, or you know, kind of concerning psychological things, is if I've got a repair that I need to do on my house, I will at first open a book. We literally have a book that is that talks about, you know, what to do with a leaky faucet and how to replace that fluid master on your toilet and how to replace a door or a car battery or any of those things that are kind of like household adulting kind of repairs. And yes, Mr. Barlow, Brandon needs that kind of a thing. And really, probably six times out of 10, the book is sufficient. Nowadays, we YouTube that, like how to blah, blah, blah. And then if we can't, then we need an expert. But I'm not gonna spend my money and my time and my energy on an expert if it's something that I can DIY and something that I can learn about. So I'm a big fan of books. And I'm here to tell you that there are a billion and five really great books that will help to support your child with problematic and everyday behaviors that are impacting their school experience negatively or anything better than positively. And so I want to talk to you about the behavior code. That's kind of my endorsement for books. And oh, I did want to say one more thing before we go on. So this, I think, is my first real significant book review type thing. And this isn't necessarily a book review. I recommend the book. <laughs> so that is the book review. I can get more involved in nitty gritty in books. I can get less involved in, in the nitty gritty of books. But what I would love to know is, are you enjoying my kind of take on books? Like, is it helpful for me to share about books with you? Because I have a billion and five books on behavior that I've read. I have a billion and five books on reading that I've read. I have tons of negotiation books that I've read, like more than a billion. What's next? A trillion. And I would be happy to put these into PDFs and even give you links if that would be helpful. So, you know, it's kind of hard on a podcast because it actually takes you deliberately going to social media or to email to contact me, but shoot me a DM or an email and let me know if you would like for me to share more about books. And if so, tell me what you want. Do you want me to like give you quotes and like really kind of sell the book to you? Or do you just want for me to tell you what might be in a book so that you know whether or not the book is going to be right for you? 
up to you, but I would love to hear from you. Okay, so the behavior code. I have given you the names of the authors. And what I love about this book, as I said, is literally in chapter one, you get information in the first 26 pages that really is kind of like the behavior 101 that I give to schools when I can tell that a child is really struggling. Now, what I will tell you, and actually chapter one doesn't start until page seven, so in 20 pages, you can learn a ton about behavior. So here's the deal is, so, so, so often, you are getting those messages from school, whether it's emails or it's phone calls or it's text messages or it's notes on that like smiley face, frowny face thing that comes home or the planner that comes home that's like, basically, it was a sucky day. <laughs> you know, and, and you as the parent are like, well, first of all, what do you want for me to do about it? And second of all, what did you do? And third of all, did he do anything good at school? Like, do you even like her? And, you know, all of these things and you're like, well, you're just reporting all this negative stuff back to me and I can't help. How can I feel like a member of the IEP team if all I'm getting is this negativity? It is incredibly frustrating. And a lot of times parents' first reaction is to be like, I don't want to hear about it. Send me notes about what you're doing in school. Send me notes about social things. Send me notes about grades, etc. But like, I don't want to hear that they broke a pencil, that they ate a pencil, that they pulled somebody's hair out, that they cleared a bookshelf, that they called the principal, in Jack Barlow's case, a dumbass. I don't care. That's two cuss words. I better stop. We're only nine minutes in. That could be bad. I don't care about those things. But then what happens is you get no communication. And then the school's like, well, she didn't want to hear about bad behaviors. And so you kind of get in this weird cycle of like less and less communication. And then you don't feel like you are a valued person on the IEP team because you don't feel like they care. And in fact, you have spent countless hours reading and supporting and going to therapies and going to doctor's appointments and checking medication <laughs> and like beating yourself into the ground by learning about your child's behaviors, but you can't communicate with school about it. So it is my opinion that getting super duper involved and informed by reading will help you to help your child because you can advocate in school. And if you can get yourself super informed on behavior, then you can equally and meaningfully participate in IEP meetings because you can be like, ho, 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 I am the expert on, in my case, Jack Barlow's behavior at school. Fill in your child's name. I am the expert. I can help you help my child at school. Voila, I am your Glinda the Good Witch because I have read books like The Behavior Code. Okay, so what does chapter one of the, we're just going to go chapter by chapter and I'm going to give you kind of like some of my favorites. I just have little page numbers written here for myself um, and I've highlighted, I've written all over this book and I folded things and I've, I had to take my tabs out so that I didn't confuse myself when I gave you this update. So in chapter one, I'm not going to give you page numbers because your edition might be differently, but one of the things that you get is you get essential concepts for understanding behavior. Like literally, how do we understand behavior? And why is it important to even study behavior? Why is it a special factor on 
the IEP form? Like, why does the federal government say that we need to address behavior? And so you get these six bullet points. Number one, behavior. It, misbehavior is a symptom of an underlying cause. Behavior happens for a reason. It is a symptom of an underlying cause. Number two, behavior is communication. Holy cow. Yes, how many times do we have to say that? But what do we do with that fact? Number three, it has a function. And we know about those four functions. Those are also contained in chapter one. Behavior occurs in patterns. That's number four. Yes, it occurs in patterns. And because it occurs in patterns, we can actually do something with it, that we can do something with that ABC data. Number five, the only behavior that teachers can control is their own. You cannot control somebody else's behavior, but you can implement strategies so that you can support it, so that you can help to change it. And number six, behavior can be changed. So we have these six key concepts. And then the rest of this chapter takes each of those six key concepts and goes into it. And when we talk about how behavior can be changed, then we start to understand what that ABC data might look like, how we're going to start to evaluate behaviors. So in chapter one, we really start to understand those six concepts. And if those six concepts are new and novel to you, then holy cow, dive into this chapter. If they are not new and novel to you, but you would have a hard time right now summarizing each of those six concepts into three sentences, can you tell everybody everything they need to know to say you can change behavior? You can't control behavior, but you can change behavior. Can you say three sentences that can summarize that? If the answer is no, read this chapter, and after you read it, you will be able to, I promise. And that way, in a meeting, you can say, well, have we done blah, 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 and you can be effective because you can now communicate about behavior. Here's a parallel. Griffin is a, is a swimmer and he would like to swim in college. And, you know, part of recruiting in college and really any place in the workplace, et cetera, is being able to sell yourself, right? And so Griffin knows what his strengths are. We talk about strengths a lot, as you can imagine. It's something that I talk a lot about here, and it's something that we talk a lot about. But I actually have him read personal development books like growth mindset and that kind of thing. I think I've told you about the one, uh-oh, I'm going to cuss again, beep, that is called uh, Don't Just Don't Be an Asshole. It's a great book. So we read those books so that he knows how to talk the talk. He knows how to efficiently say, oh, here are my strengths. Here is something that I'm good at in a way that's graceful. So the more you read about it, the more you can become introspective and then therefore be the opposite of introspective. What is it? Outrospective. <laughs> That must be a word that I lost in COVID. I definitely have COVID brain. The more you can talk about it and sell yourself in the workplace and, and in his case to college coaches and recruiters. So if you're reading about behavior and if you're really starting to kind of like talk the talk, then you can walk the walk in IEP meetings. So that's behavior. And certainly if you're a teacher or an advocate, the same thing applies to you because really a lot of this is communication.
Okay, chapter two talks about the FAIR plan. Now, FAIR is an acronym that this book utilizes. And really what they are talking about is five steps to developing a behavior intervention plan, a behavior support system. And so the five steps kind of use those foundational concepts from chapter one to build on this FAIR plan. So the FAIR plan is five steps. Number one, you're gonna manage the antecedents, those A's in the ABC data. And you're gonna manage those with accommodations and modifications that kind of affect the outcome for the student. And then number two, you're gonna reinforce desired behaviors. You're going to actually teach replacement behaviors teach like, you know, if Jack's calling the principal a bad word, then teach appropriate greetings for the principal. Like, hey, when you see Dr. So-and-so going into the building, you could say, good morning, Dr. So-and-so, or hello, Dr. So-and-so, or how was your day, Dr. So-and-so? Or even if you're in a bad mood, how about if you say, I'm not feeling it today, bad mood, Er, All of that is more polite than D-U-M-B-A-S-S. And so we're teaching those replacement behaviors. Number four, and that's so odd. That is so foreign to so many people. We, Jack, for example, has social anxiety. And so he does say that word quite a bit. That's like one of his words. I think he, he knows it gets a rise out of people. And that's better than, hey, I don't want to talk to you. I'm not feeling very well right now. And Jack is never, ever, ever going to say, hey, I don't want to talk to you. I'm not feeling very well right now. It makes me anxious to talk to you largely because he can't identify that anxiety himself yet. And so what do we t tell him? He uses a talker and he has a button on his talker that says something to the extent of, I'm having a hard time coming up with words and so I don't wanna talk to you right now. <laughs> it was literally pre-programmed into his touch chat and I was like, that is perfect. Is it rude? Absolutely. If somebody without a behavior diagnosis said that to me, I'd be like, okay, I'm not gonna try talking to you again. But is it less rude than go home cuss word? Absolutely. And so we're working through those things, okay? So we're teaching replacement behaviors. Number four, address an underdeveloped skill that are the root of the inability to behave appropriately. So if the antecedent is an inability to transition or a really struggle with, with reading or something like that, then we have to address those insufficiencies. And then five, we have to re respond to a student's inappropriate behaviors in a way that deters it. And that is far more complicated <laughs> than just that. We have to give very consistent and expected consequences to behaviors when they do happen. So this chapter goes through those five steps and explains to us how you build a plan that is appropriate for the child. How do we get this FAIR plan implemented. Then what the book does after we go through chapters one and two, and by the way, if all you need is how you address behavior in school, why you address it, what behavior is, what the key concepts to behavior are, and then how to do a BIP, you can get that in this book in 42 pages. The end of chapter two on my desk right here in this version is, is page 42. So in 42 pages, I promise you that you can read that in an hour. You, I mean, it is, and it is good. It is like talking the language. So only 42 pages and you get like behavior 101 
and then how to address behavior 101. Fantastic. The next chapters, three, four, five, and six, address children with specific kind of personality profiles or human behavior profiles and how to address them. So we go through anxiety, oppositional behavior, withdrawal, and sexualized behavior. And for each of those, we learn a little bit about children with profiles that mirror those kinds of behavioral conditions. And then we also go through strategies and ways to provoke empathy and you know things that will support both the teacher and the child. So page, or excuse me, chapter three, talks about children that present with a lot of anxiety. The chapter is literally called, Get Away From Me, the student with anxiety-related behavior. And the reason why I decided to give you this is because I remembered that this book had this chapter. Jack's anxiety is pretty pervasive right now and it's impacting the schooling actually less significantly than I thought, but I'm, it, I'm still kind of looking for things. And Jack literally says, go home, go home, girl, which is essentially the same as get away from me. <laughs> and so I was like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what he says. That's, that's funny because it was kind of hard for me to, to figure out that it was anxiety for a while. So what's this chapter focus on? Like what are some kind of key concepts in this chapter? So one of the things that it talks about is how hard anxiety is to identify as kind of the source of a behavior. There, there are, you know, like for anxiety, it's really hard because anxiety doesn't present itself outwardly very easily and also very consistently. And so you really kind of have to be looking for it. And so if you think your child could be anxious and that could be affecting their behavior, really kind of reading through this and, and maybe even reading it a couple of times to be like, could it be, might be helpful for you. In addition to that, the behavior patterns can be inconsistent. You know, if your child is like doing one thing the next day and then another thing the next day, it's like, well, how do I teach replacement behaviors? Because there are so many different behaviors. But maybe the source is actually addressing the anxiety and providing some support so that we are addressing that and that way we aren't getting these really inconsistent results and inconsistent behaviors. Anxiety happens a lot with escape. So if you've got a child that's escaping, this might be a good chapter for you to read. Another key that the book talks about with anxiety is it's super duper important to give children with anxiety non-contingent anxiety reducing breaks. So non-contingent means that it can't be based on something else. If you do this worksheet well, then you get to go do bubbles. If you do this worksheet well, you can go listen to your music and calm down a little bit, or you can go chill in here. That doesn't work, obviously. We have to do it non-consistently and, and preferably preemptively before we know of something that's going to produce a lot of anxiety. And also kids with anxiety really tend to struggle with transition. And so we might need to have some really specific plans around transition. So chapter three kind of summarizes what anxiety would look like and then what some strategies are to help a child to kind of manage their anxiety at school. Another thing that I don't have in this list that I highlighted, but that I think is really important with anxiety is that we'll go through waves of anxiety. So, um, you know, a lot of people will have like four or five days where they're just really anxious and they don't know why I have anxiety too. And I have post-traumatic stress disorder, which I've shared with you. And I will tell you that 
you know, I'll have days, I'll have a panic attack one day for like a, a very known reason. And then for like six or eight days after that, I might have a panic attack every day and be like, what the heck? I'm not the slightest bit upset. And I meditate and I've done yoga and I've gone running and I took a day off and I took those three hours to read my book and the lounge chair and not care about anything. Why in the heck am I having a panic attack? My resting heart rate's at 50. Why am I having a panic attack? And then that's almost anxiety producing itself. And so if you read this, all of a sudden you get empathy for people that have anxiety. And if you're a parent and your child has anxiety and you're trying to communicate about anxiety to school and you read this chapter, then you can communicate about your child's anxiety in a way that provokes empathy for that school team. And so that's why I recommend reading books. Again, I'm gonna keep beating that horse until it is dead. Although we don't wanna kill horses. I'm a Kentuckian. Okay, chapter four. O-D-D, children that present with oppositional behaviors. The chapter is called, You're Not the Boss of Me. So what does this chapter kind of, what are some key concepts from this chapter? A big key to working with children that present with oppositional behavior is building relationships with the child. And man, like you are saying, yeah, but you know what they say about my kid? They say that my kid's just bad and they have no desire to interact with my kid. I can tell they hate my kid. And so how do we build relationships? This chapter does a really great job at talking about how to build relationships, how to get them to care so that they can build relationships with your child because you can't do it. You can't facilitate the relationship between the teacher and the child as the parent. And so how do we build relationships? How do we provoke that the empathy that's kind of uh, primary to that relationship building. And then in addition to that, when we're identifying kids with oppositional behavior, what are we looking for? We're looking for cognitive inflexibility. There's kids that are just like, nope, I'm right. Or this is a fact. And you're like, huh? That is not, where's your sense of reality or your sense of justice? That kind of like all or nothing thinking is really common with kids with oppositional presentations. Difficulty with authority, which your host has. I, I definitely challenge authority quite a bit. Social problems with peers. This is all kind of oppositional behavior. So if your child is struggling with those things, then that might be something that you want to look at in a chapter that you want to read. And of course, if we have oppositional behaviors, the behaviors will seem to escalate. And so a lot of times schools will say, well, this, you know, this didn't really seem like a big deal in the beginning. And now all of a sudden it's like, where'd this come from? Why well, always have to point out to them that that's like part of the profile of a child that's oppositional. Like it's gonna build, you're gonna go up this escalator. And if you look back at the disciplinary stuff or the communication from the teacher, you're gonna see that it started off as just like getting a little attention. And then it went to bug and peers. And then it went to like really getting mad at gym class. And then before you knew it, he's, you know, giving somebody a bloody nose in the hallway. And so this chapter talks about struggles that children with this kind of presentation often experience. Like one thing is demands because they don't, they challenge authority and then strategies that can be helpful for children with oppositional behaviors. So that is chapter four. Then we've got two more kind of presentations. We've got withdrawal and sexualization. 
Another reason I thought this book was super helpful to talk about right now is because I know that a lot of children are kind of withdrawing. And I've read a lot about how that might be secondary to the different social environment that we all sustained during the COVID-19 pandemic when a lot of us were learning from home and teaching our kids from home. And so what does withdrawal look like? How do we support kids that are withdrawing? And, you know, how do we communicate about withdrawn behaviors to school? So this chapter is called, I Don't Care. And what we're looking at is we're looking at children that are, you know, kind of apathetic or completely unengaged. The hood up, the head on the desk, the lots of time in their room, the AirPod in all the time, and the kind of like lack of interest, like the, eh, well, I don't really care. Apathy. Now, I will tell you that this one's kind of hard to pick out in teenagers because, you know, it's like a thing for teenagers to withdraw. And sometimes they're doing it deliberately and they aren't actually withdrawing. They're just like pretending to withdraw because they think it's cool and they just can't even with us. Oh, I heard a joke about can't even. I'm really bad at telling you jokes, but here's an interlude, an unplanned interlude. Why do kids hang out in odd numbers. That's not it. It's like, oh man, I'm going to be so bad at telling you the joke. And now I've like done it for you. I've started it. Why, why, why do kids go to the bathroom in groups of three or something like that? <laughs> and the punchline is because they can't even. <laughs> I still think it's funny even though I can't remember the question. Look it up. Look it up and tell people that joke. Now I'm going to get messages about how I'm bad at telling jokes. This is like, <laughs> this is a thing. Okay, sorry. Bad one. We're not editing it out because that's part of the shtick around here. Okay, so what is, you know, this kind of withdrawn behavior? Sometimes it'll start off as like a negative almost like an attention-seeking behavior. You might get kids that avoid positive attention. And, you know, like I said, it's kids that are just trying to kind of like avoid any kind of interaction with anybody. It is oftentimes, if it is an actual issue, more common for kids with depression. How do we support these children? A lot of it is with empathy and with relation. And so, you know, of course, we have to be on alert for children with really dangerous behaviors and presenta presentations, children with suicidal thoughts, etc. But really kind of how do we empathize with these children and how do we kind of bring them to a more engaged presentation? And so, you know, this chapter talks about kids that feel misperceived socially and kids that want any kind of attention and why that might be and kind of getting to the root cause of that. So now, one thing that I haven't mentioned before is as we're going through these different chapters, uh, what the, they all kind of end with a fair plan, that behavior support plan to address these kinds of things. And so they will walk you through what the antecedents and the consequences for specific behaviors look like, and even ideas for specific measurable things for kids with these different kind of personality traits or things that are looking kind of outward in their personalities. Okay, chapter six, and then we'll move on to chapter seven, which is FAQs. And I'm going to do it kind of quickly because this episode's getting kind of long. So chapter six is students with sexualized behaviors. And so, you know, first of all, it's important to know that some sexualized behaviors are appropriate and some are inappropriate. So some are developmentally 
appropriate. So there are normal sexual behaviors that, you know, children will experience. And so it really kind of talks about what to look for that is not normal. And so we've got a definition of what those behaviors look like and what to look at. And then it talks about causes, you know, what could be causing sexualized behavior? It might be anxiety, like a self-soothing thing. It might be a need for attention. It might be imitation. And then of course, there's all kinds of problematic, scary things to look for and particularly teachers, but also coaches and parents and other people oftentimes have duties to report some of that scary behavior. And so it goes through those as well. But oftentimes children that experience this kind of behavior are having some kind of deficit with their interpersonal skills are having trouble with impulsiveness or trauma. And so it helps you to identify those things and to really talk about them with school. I think this one is an important chapter to read, by the way, because talking about sexualized behaviors can be difficult because it's not something that we talk about often. It's taboo in America for one reason or another that's cultural here. And so if you're reading about it, it will help you come up with language that makes you feel more comfortable, particularly if you are uncomfortable talking about these behaviors. But really kind of the idea is teaching the school staff how to understand the behaviors and then how to minimize the triggers. And then teaching, of course, appropriate behaviors as a result. And then there's a big thing in here about trauma-sensitive behavior reinforcement. And, you know, that's super important, particularly if you don't feel like your school is utilizing trauma-sensitive strategies. Okay, and then chapter seven has some FAQs. So I've highlighted a couple that I just wanna go through with you because I think they're super helpful. Mine is like totally written up on all of them because I think it is very helpful. But number four talks about how does a teacher talk to other students after a student's explosive incident? I think this is super helpful to being empathetic and respectful to the child and you know, kind of like separating out the behavior and the human. Number five talks about family involvement and how to communicate about behaviors. And that might help you to explain, if you're a parent, how to explain how you wanna be communicated with and how you wanna participate in the communication, et cetera. Number six talks about, <clears throat> excuse me, what happens if a student's behavior injures somebody else and how you talk to the parents about that. And then, you know, number 12 talks about, the question is, is there hope for these students? And of course, the overarching answer is yes. And it really kind of talks about separating out the child and the behavior and finding a way to empathize and keeping the child at the center as opposed to the behavior. So I really, really, really love this book, The Behavior Code. I'm curious to see if you like it as well. I'll put a link up on social media. There's a link in our show notes. I would love to hear from you on whether or not you would like for me to go through additional books from time to time. And I will see you next place next week. <laughs> same time, same place.